Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Let's go before the Lord in prayer as we get ready to get into Mark chapter 6, verse 45. Father, we thank you once again for allowing us to fellowship with you and to fellowship with each other as brother and sister in Christ. Lord, we thank you for your word. Your word is our spiritual food, and we need it so much. And we're so grateful for what we have, that that you inspired this word and you ensured that it was preserved. We just pray to have open and receptive hearts and that we allow your word to take root. And by your spirit, help us, Lord, to bear fruit that glorifies you. So, Father, I pray for the gift of teaching. I pray that I would decrease, you increase, and be glorified. That you give me clarity of thought and speech and sensitivity to your spirit. As I stand before your people, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Mark 6, verses 45 through 56 is where we'll be studying tonight. So the title of tonight's message is When Life is a Strain. Now, have you ever tried lifting weights or have you ever tried lifting something so heavy that you either passed out or you at least felt like you're going to pass out? Now, there's some people who strain so hard that an injury occurs or that person end up extremely tired because of all of their effort into lifting weight that's way too heavy. And there's some of you who maybe can't relate to that. Maybe you can't relate to trying to lift heavy weights because you saw no reason to. But I know many of you can relate to trying to open a simple jar. Maybe it's a jar of jelly and you have a hard time opening that jar. And you get to the point of straining. And your hand began to burn and maybe even blister if you kept at it long enough. Just because of all the friction from you just trying to open that top, that lid to the jar that, that just will not budge loose. And then, of course, your hands end up getting sore and feels like you have broken bones in your hands. And then your frustration level begins to go up. Oh, and don't let it be a husband whose whose wife say, honey, can you open this for me? Oh, I feel like Superman at that point. But but it's so embarrassing because when, when you take that jar, maybe it's a jar of salsa, and, and you think that it's going to be so easy for you and, and you're just going to look like Superman to your wife. And then she's watching you. All eyes are on you and that jar still won't open. And so now you get frustrated and on top of that you get 
embarrassed. And one time I got to the point where I was trying to open something that wouldn't open. I almost took that thing back to the store and exchanged it. It almost got to that point. But thank the Lord for the internet. It could be used for good things because I found a strategy that got it open. But the point is, there's some things practically in life that we strain at. But spiritually speaking, when we talk about our spiritual walk with the Lord, when we talk about spiritual things, we we find that there is often a struggle or a strain. Or to be more clear, we find ourselves straining in life. We find ourselves straining. And so in tonight's study, we're going to find a simple principle that's going to help us to overcome the unnecessary straining that we've been doing in our lives, in our walk. And so we want to start with Mark 6, verse 45. And after we read it, we're going to park there just for a couple minutes. In verse 45 of Mark 6, it says, Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitudes away. Now, Bethsaida means house of fish. And Bethsaida is actually a village in the lower area of the region of Golanitis. And that's located on the eastern shore of Lake Gennesaret, also known as the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Galilee. And it's not that far from where the Jordan River empties into the Sea of Galilee. So that's one Bethsaida. But then there's also the Bethsaida of Galilee. And it was a small fishing village located on the western shore of this same sea of Galilee. And it was in the land of Gennesaret. And this place was the native place of the apostle Andrew, Peter, and Philip. And this Bethsaida that was on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee or this Lake of Galilee in the land of Gennesaret, that's where the disciples, Jesus' followers, were heading to at this point. That's where Jesus sent his disciples. Now, just to jog your memory, this is the same day Jesus fed the 5,000 men with five loaves and two fish. Now, I want you to notice that Jesus stayed behind And he did the work of wrapping up the service. A great miracle was done. The disciples were used. Jesus broke the bread and the fish, gave it to the disciples. They gave it to the people, 5,000 men. And that's not counting women and children, the scriptures tell us. And I brought that up in the last study. But Jesus stayed behind and he wrapped up the service and And I emphasize that because in that, I see a spiritual truth that takes place in our ministry. And that spiritual truth is that after we do our work and we move on, 
after we do our work and we get in our cars or we go to our homes, guess what? That, that person God used us to sow into, they may leave our presence, we may leave their presence, but God is still working in their hearts. You see, God is still with them trying to knock on the door of their hearts, trying to draw them to Christ. Or if they're already a believer, God is still working on them to get them to understand what has been shared with them. And so I like that point, that principle that I believe the Lord revealed to me that, that hey, long after you're gone, the Lord is still working. In verse 50, 46, not 56, it says, And when he has sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Sent all the multitude away, this crowd of people. And the reason I, I like, and I also encourage reading all of the Gospels together, when we read about the life of Jesus, is because you get these fill-in-the-blanks type of information. And so we get that in John chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. Because there we get additional details about why Jesus sent the disciples ahead and then departed to the mountain by himself to pray. And John chapter 6 tells us that the multitude wanted to forcefully make Jesus a king. Now, he's already king of kings, lord of lords, but it wasn't his time to set up his visible kingdom on the earth. Now, he was coming the first time as the lamb of God to be slaughtered, to die for the sins of the world, and to set up a spiritual kingdom that all of us are a part of. We can't see it visibly, but we are a part of the kingdom of heaven. And so he came to set that up the first time. So yes, he is that prophet that Moses spoke about, that he prophesied about. Yes, he is that king, the Messiah. But these people wanted him and thought that he, he would reign on the earth right now and deliver them from the Romans. But there is going to come an ultimate deliverance, and that's still down the line. And so Jesus knew that this multitude wanted to forcefully make him king. And of course, Jesus saw that coming. But he also understood that these people wanted to make him king because they were more interested in the physical bread that he fed them. They were more interested in the physical needs that he can meet. But oh, Jesus came to do so much more. Because later on in, in John chapter 6, if you keep reading, Jesus declares that he is that true bread. And he is that bread, of course, who gives spiritual life. He is that bread who allowed his body to be broken for us so that life can be available to all. You see, people are going to get hungry again if they eat that physical bread, physical food. People are going to get hungry again. But oh, when you partake of Jesus by faith, the spiritual life-giving bread, then you'll never 
starve spiritually again. But now as we see him depart to the mountain to pray, there's something we want to pick up on because Jesus sets the ultimate example for us. Because he is the ultimate perfect man. You see, he is the last Adam. See, the first Adam messed up. He was created with no sin. But eventually he chose to do that. He chose to sin. And now all of us are born with the sin nature. And so God had a plan in place from eternity to send Jesus on a rescue mission. And that's what Jesus did. And now this last Adam, Jesus Christ, the perfect human who did what Adam didn't do in the sense that he was totally obedient to the will of the Father, he sets a good example for us. And here is where I'm going with this. In looking at his prayer life, how he departed to the mountain to pray. Now remember, he's by himself. It's just him and the Father. Now what's interesting about this prayer time is that he's not praying before the work of the ministry. I'm sure he did that. But this time he is praying after the work of the ministry has been completed. And I just wonder tonight how many of us are used to doing that. I know we're used to holding hands and, and praying before we start. Before we start singing. Be, before we go out witnessing. Before we start teaching the word of God. Be, before we go out and help pass out food items to the poor. We, we're used to praying beforehand. But how many of us, like Jesus, are used to praying afterwards? And so we learn a good example here from the perfect Adam, the last Adam, Jesus Christ. In verse 47, it says, now, when the evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea. That is the boat that the disciples were in. And Jesus was alone on the land. In John six nineteen, it says that they had rolled about three to four miles at this point of the study. Then the next verse in Mark 6, in verse 48, it says, Then Jesus saw them straining at rowing. He saw them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them. And then back in John six eighteen, you can write it down if you don't have time to turn there. It just says that the sea also arose as a result of the wind. So now you have the strong wind coupled with the waves. This water, this sea arising. But now about the fourth watch of the night, that's between 3 and 6 a.m., Jesus came to them walking on the sea. And he would have passed them by. In other words, Jesus acted as if he intended to pass right by them as they are struggling, as they're straining. He walks on the water and, and acts like he's about to keep walking. And when they saw him walking on the sea, now here you have verse 49. They supposed it was a ghost and they cried out. 
For they all saw him and were troubled. They were, in other words, extremely terrified. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, be of good cheer or take courage. It is I do not be afraid. So as the disciples rolled, the the wind was against them because they were heading west. And then you have this wind coming from the west. It was at odds with the disciples and their rowing. The waves tossing this boat around. Then, of course, they, they see someone coming up to them and don't even know, what is this? Is this a ghost? This is an unusual scene. And so it's no wonder that they will be extremely terrified. And, and we will be too. This is just not normal. And so here, again, we learn something about Jesus. And between 3 and 6 a.m., we, we see him walking on the water as his people are straining, as they're struggling. And, and what we learn about him is that it, it reveals that there are no problems that our God cannot walk over. Every problem that we can think of, every problem that we're experiencing is It's not a problem that can overtake our God. It's not a problem that our God will sink in. Oh, he walks right over that problem. And this even goes back to the Old Testament, which tells us that that Jesus is that same eternal God. Because in Psalm 93, 4, it says, The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, than the mighty waves of the sea. And we see this expressed in Jesus's life in this example in our study as he walks on these waves. And it's so important for us to point these things out. When we see things that God can do, when we see things that Jesus can do, it's so important for us to point it out. When we see characteristics about God, attributes about God and what are attributes when we talk about the attributes of God we're 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 talking about things that are true about God things that God reveals about himself for example we know for a fact that God is love why because he tells us so that's an attribute that is true about God we know that God is gracious and merciful and compassionate how do we know that because it's an attribute that he revealed to us in his word. It is something that is true about God. And so it's important for us to, to stop every now and then and, and park when we come to certain verses. And I would even encourage you in, in your quiet time, as you're reading the word of God, as you're meditating upon the word of God, as you gathering together for a Bible study, when you come across those verses, that tell you about the character of God, about the attributes of God. I would encourage you to highlight it or circle it. Do something, write a note next to it. And the reason why that's so important is because we we need something to fall back on when we encounter things in our lives that we're so confused about. When we come to a point of our lives when we don't feel like we've been forgiven, when we don't feel like we're set free, When we don't feel loved, 
We can always fall back on the scriptures about what we know about God and say, wait a minute, that is a lie because my Bible tells me that God loves me. He sent Jesus to die for me while I was yet a sinner. And so you need to write notes and underline and highlight those attributes and characteristics of God. And so that's why I try to pause so often in our studies and highlight these things. And the point I want to emphasize at this point is that there is no problem that our God cannot put under his feet and walk over. In verse 51, just the first part of that verse, it says, then he went up into the boy, into the boy, into the boat. I don't know what kind of language I'm speaking, but he went up to the boat to them and the wind ceased. The wind ceased. Now, there, there's more. There's more to this, and I want you to turn to Matthew 14. We're going to start at verse 28, because it fills us in on some details. And it says in, in Matthew 14, verse 28, And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And so Jesus said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous or was strong, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. I wonder why Matthew included that portion of the story in this gospel account, but Mark didn't. And my thought is, most Bible scholars and, and many people would, would tell you that, that Mark most likely got much of his information from Peter. And so maybe Peter didn't want that information in Mark. Maybe he didn't want to look bad because he sank, or maybe he didn't want to be glorified because he actually did walk on water for a little bit. But, but Mark left that out, and again, he would have gotten most of his information from Peter, many people believe. But Matthew includes this portion about Peter walking on water for a little bit and then sinking. Now, now people are quick to point out and correctly point out that, that Peter took his eyes off Jesus and paid more attention to the wind which caused him to sink. But to Peter's credit, Peter actually stepped out there. Peter actually stepped out of the boat, which is what many of us would have done, which is what none of the other disciples did at that time. Because remaining in the boat for many people is safer than stepping into the water. Stepping on those waves. But, but he's like, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come and I'm coming. Jesus did it. He came. Nobody else said that but him. So we're so quick to point out his faults. But, but look at what he did. He did step out in faith at least for a little bit. And I just want to share with you that there will be people who bash you or disagree with you. For daring to have that bold faith of stepping out of your boat, of stepping out of your comfort zone, of gathering here today during this COVID-19 season. 
Well, people may criticize you. They may say that you are not thoughtful, that, that you are arrogant for being here, that you're not taking this sickness seriously. No, you love the Lord. And oh, for those who are staying home for good reason, that this is not a, a, a time to bash anybody who's doing that. Because some people are staying home for good reason, but there are some people who would criticize you for being here. Those who would see you shaking hands during meet and greet. Hey, well, what's wrong with that person? They, they don't care. They, don't, they, they think this is fake. No, some people will bash you or disagree with you because you dare to step out of your comfort zone and things like that. Because you dare to step out of your comfort zone and take on the challenge of homeschooling. Oh, you dare to step out of your comfort zone where you're getting that, that big check and saying, no, this job is no longer for me. The Lord wants me to move on. And no, it's not paying as much, but the Lord wants me to do this. And so I'm going to step out in faith and do it. And so some people will try to criticize you stepping out of your boat, out of your comfort zone. But I encourage you to continue to have that, that bold faith. Continue to have that courage to, and, I, and I'm not just saying to do this just on a whim, but, but do it in prayer. If that's what the Lord leads you to do, he may want you to take step A before he'll show you step B. And so forth. And it's going to take faith. But are you willing to step out of your boat? Are you willing to step out of your boat? Well, many of you have been stretched already and you had to use some bold faith. I've been, I've been stretched in many Bible studies where I was afraid to teach it. Remember one time the Lord gave me a message about I am. And I was excited at first. Oh, Lord, I was excited because I prayed, Lord, what do you want me to teach on? And he showed me I am. And this was, I don't know, at least a year or so ago. But I was excited at first when he gave it to me because it's like, it's a blessing when the Lord is speaking to you. And you know it's from him. But then all of a sudden, as I thought about it, I got, I got scared. I got afraid because of the research, the amount of time that I would need to put into it because we want to revere his name. And so I wasn't going to play around with this. And so I pray, went to him again in, in prayer. Are you sure? Uh, so, but there are times where the Lord will stretch you and you have to step out in faith. And many of you have many testimonies, many praise reports you can share about things like that. And it's such a blessing. When the Lord shows you something and then you act on it in faith, in bold faith, stepping out of your boat. And I would venture to say that you do not regret doing that. Let's move on to the second half of verse 51. And it says, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure. And, and they marveled for, Mark six fifty-two says, they had not understood about the loaves. They didn't understand about that miracle where Jesus fed the 5,000 men. Plus, women and children who were there with five loaves and two fish, they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. 
And so they were really amazed in themselves beyond measure and marvel when they saw Jesus walking on the waves. Matthew 14, 33 fills us in some more. It says, then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. See, just from those verses alone, we, we see that they were supposed to have learned something from the miracle of feeding the 5,000 men with five loaves of bread and two fish. They were supposed to have learned something. These verses imply. And what that tells us is that there is a message in the miracles. There is a message in the miracles. They were supposed to get something from the miracle Jesus did about him, about who he is. And so they didn't totally understand who Jesus is and they didn't totally understand what he could do. So they marveled when they saw him walking on water because they missed out on what he did on land. With the five loaves and the two fish, how he multiplied it. Because that that lesson teaches that there is nothing that is impossible for our God. And so if they would have caught on to that lesson, then they would have still been amazed. But they would have had something else to add on to that lesson that there is nothing that is impossible for our God. With him, all things are possible, but they missed out on it. For their heart, it says in Mark 6, 52, was hardened. But the question I want to throw out there to us tonight is, have we learned anything? Have we learned anything from the way God worked in our lives in the past? Because Jesus expected them to. And they miss some things. Oh, God has been so good to us in our past. We prayed so long for something to happen and, and it happened right on time. And we told people about it and we thank God for it. When we came together, we lifted our hands, hands praying God, praising God for it. But then sometimes we forget about how he worked in our lives in the past because if we remember how he worked in our lives in the past that'll help us in the future when we go through future struggles you know i like in the old testament if you haven't noticed when when great things would happen god would tell them to set up some type of stone that'll help them set up some something that'll help them remember what happened when they crossed over the jordan under Joshua's leadership, they, they set up some stones to remember the crossing of the Jordan River. And so I wonder, what kind of stones of memory do we have that helps us remember the God we serve and, and what he's able to do? We're moving on to verse 53. It says, when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and they anchored there. They made it over to the west side now. And, and when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized Jesus and they ran through the whole surrounding region and began to carry about on beds or these mats, those who were sick to wherever they heard he was. Oh, Jesus is over there. Okay, we're taking them there. Wherever he entered, 
into villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might just touch the hem, the fringe, or that tassel with the blue cord of his garment or robe. And as many as touched them were made well. So yes, we see that that Jesus and the disciples, they finally made it over to the other side. See, he told them to go on ahead of him to the other side in verse 45. And they had some struggles and they strained a bit, but, but now they made it. Oh, that rowing was tough. But they made it. They, they sweated. They got exhausted. They probably got frustrated. But. They made it. And the reason they made it to the other side that Jesus told them to is that Jesus actually got in the boat. And when Jesus got in the boat, the wind had stopped. And then John even adds the qualifier immediately. So once Jesus got in the boat, the wind ceased. They made it to the other side immediately. John 6.21 tells us. Now, many of us in this place, many of us who are online right now watching the service, joining us for the service, either we are or have strained at some point in our lives. In other words, we have struggled or are struggling at some point in our lives, in our walk with the Lord. You see, many of us have the wind coming at us. We're, we're going one way. That the Lord told us to go and, and there's some wind going, coming contrary to the way we're going. And, and it's making difficult for us to roll to our destination in life. Oh, it's hard to roll. It's hard to move. And we're sweating and we're toiling and we're becoming frustrated. And we have these winds of financial crisis in our lives. We have the wind of sicknesses and, and, and wind of relationship issues coming against us as we're trying to roll to our destination in life. Oh, we even have people, believe it or not, rooting against you to make it to your destination. Oh, and even more than that, you have demonic forces attacking you, scheming against you as you're attempting to roll to that other side. And so you're figuring out that in life or in your walk with the Lord, there is a bit or a lot of strain or struggles that's going on. But the question is, have you identified that area in your life that you're straining in? What area, in other words, are you straining in? Have you been straining in? Have you been struggling in? What is that area in your life you've been putting a lot of effort in to the point of exhaustion, to the point of wanting to give up or even faint? Like that person trying to lift all that weight and they strain so much they pretty much faint or almost get there getting dizzy. So maybe you're getting a little bit dizzy and to the point where you're looking for a shoulder to lean on and it doesn't seem to be a shoulder there. And so you're at the point of just wanting to give up and just stop paddling. But here's the key that I wanted to point out in this lesson that As they're straining, remember this, they're not going anywhere because they wanted to. Remember the reason they are in the boat and in the water 
in the first place is because they are actually doing the will of God. Because if you look at the text in verse 45, Jesus is the one who told them to get in the boat and go. But Lord, now I'm doing your will. I'm in the middle of this sea. I'm in the middle of trying to do your will. And now, Lord, there is, there are some things fighting against me. And so that may be confusing to many of us. Because you know the will of God and And many things just based on reading the word or some things that he spoke personally in your life. And you're on your way there. You're rowing. Things are going well. You're smiling. But then you hit a roadblock. You get a little wind. You get a little waves and water in your boat. As you're attempting to do the will of God. And so you get discouraged. And you even begin to question if you heard God correctly or question if you're even doing the right thing. I know, God, this is what your word says. And as I do it, this is all I get. Punch in the face by the wind. Some people even begin to doubt God, their maker. And some of the things that we know to do in the word of God that we're straining in. That we're on our way to, for example, is becoming a loving husband. We know that it's in the word of God to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Oh God, I'm doing that. I'm in the middle of your will, but there's some obstacles in my way. Oh Lord, Lord, maybe my wife isn't acting the way I think she should. She's not doing her part, Lord. So, Lord, did I really hear you correctly to love my wife? Oh, you better keep rowing. That, that is the will of God. Don't you put those oars down. <clears throat> or maybe somebody is trying to be that Proverbs 31 wife. Oh, you better keep rowing. Keep holding on to those, ro- those oars. Keep rowing. You're in the middle of doing the will of being a servant in the children's ministry. Men's ministry, women's ministry. You're you're in the middle of of in God's will of being that bold witness for him, but you're you're facing some wind. And you're straining trying to do the will of God. Lord, I know you want me to be a godly employee and not talk about my boss, but they're getting on my nerves, Lord. You better keep them oars in your hand. You know that's the will of God for you to be a a loving and a godly employee. Or even if you're a boss, you're to treat your employees with love and respect. Of course, we all need to get our work done. Oh, Lord, but I'm facing challenges. I know this is your will for me to love my enemies, but I'm straining at that. I'm having a hard time doing it. Lord, I know you want me to be humble. I know that's in your will for me to be humble, for me to show humility in my life. But Lord, I'm straining at that. Lord, I know it's in your word for me to forgive because I have been forgiven. But Lord, I'm straining at trying to get to the other side of being forgiven. I'm I'm straining. I'm ready to put down the oars. Or how about this in the word of God? We know that it's his will for us. To pray without ceasing. But Lord, I struggle with that. I know that's your will. To rejoice always. 
Lord, how can I rejoice always? I see that in your word. I know it's your will, but when I try to do it, I I strain at it and I get some wind in my face. Some things come up and it makes it hard for me to rejoice always. So you're straining at doing the will of God. You know it's his will, just like the disciples did, but you're straining. And in all of our straining, check this out. In verse 48, it says that Jesus was watching them. So what does that tell us? That when we're straining, as we're struggling to do the will of God in our lives, God is watching. He has not lost sight of you. God has not lost sight of us. It's like when I, with my children, when they were babies, I remember I used to kind of hover over them and, and look at them when they were sleeping, make sure they were still breathing and, and all that stuff. And you, you know, see the chest or whatever go up and down and you do those things. You watch over them. And that's what God does for us, his children. He is always watching over us. And Jesus saw them straining. And I just want to share a verse with you. In Psalm 34, 15, it says that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. It's like a parent's ears are open to the cries of their babies. And our eyes are always watching our babies. Oh, God is, is watching his people even when we strain. Straining at life, straining at doing the will of God and As the worship team comes up to to those of you who are straining in your attempt to do the will of God in your life. The only question I want to pose to you, the only question I want to pose to myself is, did, did you let Jesus in the boat? Oh, as we strain at doing his will, know what his will is, are, are we letting him in the boat? You see, in John 6, 21, the first part says that they willingly received him into the boat. Willingly. So is Jesus, is he in our boat? Because maybe that's the reason we're straining so much. Oh, Lord, I know you want me to love my labor, but they're so hard to love and you're straining at it. Why? Because you didn't let them in your boat. Oh, Oh, God, I know I'm supposed to forgive 70 times 7, which means that there is no limit. My brother offends me. But, Lord, I, I strain. I'm straining right now. Why? Because Jesus, maybe you're not letting him in the picture. You're not letting him in the boat. Oh, God, I know I'm supposed to pray for people who hurt me, who offend me, but... When I start praying for them, I can't do it. I'm straining at it. And I want to put those oars down. Why? Because you haven't allowed Jesus to be in the boat to help you to love the way he wants you to love. And I say this to myself too. So is Jesus in your boat? See, God wants to be in the boat of our lives. In the boat of our situations. He, he wants to go just from observing us to watching us to actually helping us. But are we willing to let him in? That's the question. Because when they let Jesus in, they got to their destination immediately. 
Oh, oh, when God shows you what his will is for your life, what he wants you to do, you let him in the picture. You, you let him equip you. You let him be the navigator, and you're going to get to your destination because it's his perfect will for you. If he called you to it, he'll help you do it. And I've said that before. Let's pray as we get ready for communion. Father, we thank you. We thank you for sending Jesus to be our great example that, as we've seen in the scripture. We thank you, Father, for loving us so much that you sent your only begotten son, your unique son. And he gave his body to be broken for us. And he allowed his blood to be shed on Calvary's cross. Because in order for our sins to be forgiven, there had to be a perfect sacrifice. And the only one perfect is God, is you, Lord. And so we thank you right now. As we get ready to partake of communion, we, we just thank you so much for the death of Jesus in our place. And your word says that as often as we do this, we proclaim his death. So in other words, as we partake of communion, we preach a sermon that, yes, Jesus died for me. And as we partake of that bread, as we partake of that cup of juice representing the blood of Jesus, We're doing it in remembrance of him. And before we partake, it's a good time of self-evaluation. So I lead us in the prayer. Father, I pray that there's any sin in our lives right now that we need to confess to you at this time that you would reveal it to us. And even right now, Father, we ask for forgiveness about or for those sins that we're not aware of. And we thank you, Lord, for forgiving us. We thank you for cleansing us from all unrighteousness. Now, Father, before we partake, I'd like to pray over my brothers and sisters and, and pray that they will be open, Lord, that all of us will be open to allowing you to be the navigator allowing you to take control, to get in our boat and to help us to do those things you called us to do. 
to help us to overcome those bad circumstances that we may be experiencing, Lord. And may you bless them this week. May you use them this week for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.